If you have your Bibles or if you're reading from the TV screens, we're going to take a look at... Do you have the key to the gym so they can get in there later? Sorry, the boss. okay. We're going to look at the first chapter of John. Um, I finished the Gospel of John. Some, some of you may say, well, why are you doing the first chapter? Because this wasn't intended. I started with the second chapter, preaching through the wedding at Cana, when Jesus turned the water into wine. That's all I intended to preach on. This is about six years ago, and I found myself working my way through the whole Gospel of John, which... I got a lot out of it. But anyway, our text today is what we call the prologue. A prologue is an introduction. Last time I spoke, we looked at the epilogue. The epilogue was a PS. John was telling us a PS after all he told us through all those chapters, all the miracles Jesus did, all uh, the rejection, all he did teaching his uh, disciples. He now gives an epilogue, a PS. We finished that the last time I spoke. Now he's doing, in the first chapter, it's called a prologue. He's given like an introduction. And it's a highly, what we call, Christological gospel. John is a highly Christological gospel. When you look at the gospel of Matthew, he focuses on Jesus being the king. When you look at the gospel of Mark, we look at Jesus uh, Mark focusing on Jesus being the servant. When we look at the, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, Luke focuses on Jesus being the Son of Man. And now we come to John's Gospel and he focuses on the divinity of Christ. The heart of the, this Gospel is Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the heart of the entire Bible Old Testament and New Testament is Jesus Christ. One minister very wisely said, if you read the whole Bible and miss the point of who Jesus Christ is, you've missed the whole point of the Bible. Everything in the Bible points to Christ, Old Testament included. As a matter of fact, if you preach through the Old Testament... You preach the Old Testament as Christian scriptures, even though Jesus didn't come yet. It points to Christ. And John, in his prologue here, comes right out of the gate telling us who Jesus is. Makes no bones about it, yet many miss it. And what's more disturbing is Christians are very weak on their understanding of who Jesus is. Now, you could say, well, I know Jesus is God, I believe that. But you need to get a deeper understanding of who Christ is. I need to get a deeper understanding of who Christ is. From the very first day I got saved 40 years ago, I understood who Jesus was, that he was divine. This wasn't just a man. He was a divine. He was the God-man. But we need to go into a deeper understanding. And my prayer is that after we study these verses, you will have a greater understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Stand with me for the reading of God's word, please. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Can we put it up there? 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not, was not, anything, that, not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this glorious five verses. We thank you for the Christological beauty that is in these five verses, Lord. Help us to understand even greater who Jesus is. Help us to understand it and let it lead us to worship the Savior even a greater way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to read a story from a commentary called, What Manner of Man? And the story goes like this. When the first missionaries went to Japan, a young Japanese who wanted to learn English was given the Gospel of John to translate in his native language. In a short time, he became very restless and agitated. At last, he burst out with this question. Who is this man about whom I have been reading? This Jesus. You call him a man, but he must be God. An honest reading of the Gospel of John could only come to one conclusion, which is my proposition for you tonight. The word Jesus Christ is very much God in every way. A little background, when the beloved disciple John wrote his Gospel, his three epistles and Revelation, John wrote the five of these uh, it was approximately between the year 80 and 95 AD approximately a 15 year span we don't know exactly when he wrote it but it was between that span and one of the heresies John had to deal with back then was the seed form of Gnosticism how many of you have ever ever heard of Gnosticism the false teaching of Gnosticism Okay, some of you have which basically said there's many Things that go through Gnosticism. But basically what they said was matter is evil and spirit is good. That's what they thought. In John's day, this heresy was only in seed form. In other words, it was just beginning. Uh, But even in seed form, there was this denial of the humanity of Christ. Now, it became full-blown in the second century. But it was in seed form in John's day, and there was the, they were beginning to deny the humanity of Christ. After all, if, if evil, if matter is evil and, and spirit is good, and Jesus is good, Jesus therefore couldn't have a body, and that's the kind of heresy that was going on back then. With what they were saying is, he's really a phantom; he's a ghost. He only looked like he had a body, and that's why, if you read the first epistle of John. The first chapter, the first verse, he said this. That which was from the beginning. This is John the Apostle. That which which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Which we have seen with our eyes. Which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's saying, we heard him with our own ears. We've seen him with our own eyes. We looked upon him and have touched him with our own hands. You see, John was affirming Jesus' humanity. 
his physical reality. He was putting to rest back then any thought that Jesus didn't have a physical body. If one denies Jesus' humanity, you can't have a savior that could atone for your sins. He had to have a body. In our text today, John also affirms the deity of Christ. He also had to be God. You see, this is who you're dealing with when it comes to Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man. As Dr. Ossius Froll used to say, truly God, truly man. Better than 100% God, 100% man. He was truly God and he was truly man. We don't deal much with Gnosticism today. Even most unbelievers believe in the historical Jesus Christ, that he was human, that he had a body. But we will, what we deal with today, and this is where I want you to understand and learn and listen, what we deal with today is the denial of the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ. It's heresy to deny Jesus' humanity. And equally heretical to deny his divinity. This is nothing new. The church has been battling the denial of Christ's divinity from the very, very beginning of time. The Jews in Jesus, they didn't believe Jesus was God. And ever since then, there have always been false teachings that would deny the deity of Christ. For example, when we come to the 4th century, this heretical teaching of the denial of Jesus being fully God tried to work its way into the church. Arius, I don't know how many of you heard of Arius, he was the bishop of Alexandria in the early 4th century, around 325 AD. He denied the full deity of Christ, saying Jesus was begotten of the Father and therefore had to be created at some point. The problem with his teaching was a gross misunderstanding and misinterpretation of a few words in the Bible, such as Jesus was begotten. He misunderstood that word. Uh, Jesus was the firstborn of creation in Colossians. He, he misunderstood that. And other scriptures that would point to Jesus' humanity, but ignoring the ones that speak of his divinity. There was a lack of understanding that Jesus is truly God and truly man at the same time. My preaching today is going to be very theological. Because the first five verses of John's gospel is theological. So I have no other choice. With this heresy looming back in 325, the Council of Nicaea got together in 325 and condemned these verses. Or these views. They condemned it. The, the, what happened was that all the church leaders got together. All the early church fathers. And they said, this is wrong. And that's why today we have what we call the Nicene Creed. To resolve the Arian controversy. You see, the church took serious the divinity of Christ. And we today need to take serious that Jesus Christ is not only human, but he's God in human flesh. The, the, the Nissan Creed says this. It sounds just like the Apostles' Creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of the same essence as the Father. This is very similar to the Apostles' Creed we just read. But the Nicene Creed is much more detailed than what Christians believe. 
I'd love to one day switch to the Nicene Creed because it's much more detailed than what we believe as Christians. But one of the reasons for the Nicene Creed back in 325 was to establish the understanding of the nature of Christ and refute the Arian controversy. Well, we still battle this controversy today. Jehovah Witnesses. Did you ever hear of a Jehovah Witness? Did you ever hear of a Mormon? They hold a very similar position as Arius did on the nature of Christ. They do not believe in the full divine nature of Jesus Christ. And that's a problem. But even closer to home, some false teachers have crept into our own pulpits. The word of faith teaches, deny the full divinity of Christ. I don't have time to get into the word of faith teaches, but many of them you will see on TV. And the problem is, many sound theological churches have let them into their pulpits. And that's a problem. If you deny the divinity of Christ, which I'll talk about in a minute, you cannot have salvation. It is impossible to have salvation. It's impossible to be saved if you deny His divinity. We need to be extremely careful who we allow into our pulpits and have even fellowship with. The Bible talks about not having fellowship with people that deny the essentials of the faith. And one of the big ones is the divinity of Christ. Three points I'm going to bring to your attention that prove in these first five verses, you do well, if you have a Bible, you have something to mark these and to understand that when you come up against someone who says Jesus Christ is not God, namely Jehovah Witnesses, you can show them from the scriptures, just from these five verses, there's tons of scriptures. But just from these five verses, you could show them that Jesus Christ is indeed God. The three points. The first one we're going to look at is the pre-existent word. In other words, Jesus always existed. The point two is the creator word. Jesus is the creator. And point three, the self-existent word. Jesus himself has life in himself. Let's look at the pre-existent word. Verses one and two again. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. If you have any familiarity with, with the Bible, and, and you read John 1.1, 1, 1, you would immediately think of the first verse of the Old Testament. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This marked the beginning of the universe. And now John says, in the beginning was the word. Two beginnings. First one in Genesis, the creation of the universe and mankind. The second, the beginning of a new creation. We were tainted with sin and Jesus came to give us a new created life. A new beginning. That's why Paul could say, if anyone is in Christ, what? He is a new creation. The old creation has been stained with sin. The new purified by the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. It's new. You know why it's new? Because of the gospel. The gospel changes the old sinful man into brand new created beings. And I think we can can deduce from verse 1 that the starting point of the gospel is not when Jesus started his public ministry. People might say, oh, that's when the gospel came into play. No. But as Dr. Carson said, before the beginning of the entire universe, that's when the gospel started. The gospel was not an afterthought. God didn't say, humanity sinned. 
I better send my son, Jesus Christ, to atone for their sins. No, this was planned from all eternity. Something that your mind and my mind cannot comprehend. Because Jesus Christ was from all eternity, so was his gospel. John is saying here that the word, Jesus Christ, that whenever we talk about the word in these first five verses, John is talking about Jesus Christ. And he's saying here that the word, Jesus, was before the beginning of creation. In the beginning was the word. Now if you do a casual reading of the first part of verse 1, in the beginning was the word, you would probably probably come to the conclusion that the word had a beginning. In the beginning was the word. But its true meaning is not that. It is true that beginning from the Greek word arche, say arche with me, arche, you're Greek scholars, I commission you all Greek scholars. No. But arche means a point of time at the beginning of a duration. It can also mean ruler or authority. That's what the word arche means. But here in this context it means the beginning of the universe. Again, doing a casual reading of this text, one can easily think that Jesus had a beginning. However, when we look at the rest of the verse, in the beginning was the word. When you look at that a little closer, you'd realize something eternally different. What John is saying is the word already existed in the beginning. How do we know that? Well, the Greek verb, the Greek verb was, in Greek, amy. And means to exist in an absolute sense. To be, to exist. We should know that also the verb was in what they call an imperfect tense. And meaning it was continuing. In other words, the existence of the word, which by the way is Jesus Christ, never came into being or was created. The word always existed eternally. Now I'm not trying to get technical with you, but that's the only way you can really break this text down. Kenneth Weiss, he's a, a Greek scholar. He has what they call an ex, what he calls an expanded translation, and he, this is the way he ex, uh, or translates that verse. In the beginning, the word was existing. It's existing. It was already existing. Only God always existed, and Jesus is God, so Jesus always existed. You may ask. And hear me on this, please. You may ask, why is this so important? May I be bold enough to say, it's important enough that to believe otherwise would damn your soul to hell? To believe anything less than Jesus is God would damn your soul to hell. Dr. John MacArthur said, No one who rejects Christ's deity can be saved. For he himself said in John 8.24, and he's quoting Jesus now in John 8.24, Therefore I said to you, that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. It is fitting then that John opens his gospel, which so strongly emphasizes Christ's deity, with a powerful affirmation of that essential truth. That's what separates the cults from true Christianity, is the divinity of Christ. We have a Savior who is no less than God because only God could redeem us. Only God can redeem us. 
And if Jesus is God, He had to always exist. He never had a beginning. If God never had a beginning, we must affirm the word Jesus Christ never had a beginning. And that's one of the points John is bringing to our attention in this verse. Well, what does John mean when he calls Jesus the word? Why does he call him the word? Well, when we think of word, we may think of something that we say or write. Uh, word conveys an idea uh, uh, or, or reveals our thoughts and our hearts. But let's define the word biblically. The term invites expository dictionary of Old and New Testament words. The Greek word for word is logos. How many of you heard of logos? Okay, it's a, that's a pretty very well known word in, in the Christian faith. And it's defined as an expression of thought. Not the mere name of an object. It's, it's communication. The word from the beginning, Jesus Christ, God, desired to communicate with man. The term Logos was familiar at that time, both to Jews and Greeks. To the Greek, Logos meant that ultimate reason governed the universe. In other words, as one commentator said, Logos was an impersonal principle of reason that gives order to the universe. That's what the Greeks thought back then. To the Jew, they had a little better understanding than the Greek. They said, um, Logos referred to God. And they were right. They understood that God through speech reveals himself to his people. But John presents Jesus as not an impersonal force as the Greeks thought, but the true and ultimate living word that became flesh. That was beyond the Greek understanding. That was beyond their understanding. And to the Jew, John presents Jesus as the embodiment of the power and revelation they knew, namely the Old Testament. In other words, their Old Testament, John was saying, is now in human flesh. John is saying both to the Jew and to the Greek, Jesus is God's word in human flesh. And this is the greatest way God communicated his love to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Words reveal our hearts and minds to each other, don't they? This is how God reveals his heart to us through the living word, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1 verses 1 and 2 says it very clearly. It says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And here's the key. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Now Jesus is God's final word to us. He's not going to give you any more revelation. The word of God is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the word of God in human flesh. He's not going to give us any more revelation. If you want to know what God looks like, you look at Jesus. Amen. Find out what Jesus is like. Look, I mean, find out what God is like. You look at Jesus. Jesus told Philip, "Whoever has seen me has seen the Father." So it's necessary to understand that Jesus pre-existed. He wasn't created. Without going into the Old Testament, we see many scriptures. Uh, Jesus making pre-incarnate appearances, what theologians call Christophanies. A Christophany in the Old Testament was uh, Christ taking on uh, like uh, an, a body of an angel and appeared to his people to deal with his people. So we know he pre-existed. We even see pre-existent appearances in the Old Testament. 
Only God is eternal and Christ is God. Because he's eternal, logically, he had to pre-exist. In the beginning, the word was existing. Another proof of the word's pre-existent state, John also shows us Christ's intimate fellowship with his Father from all eternity. Verse 1, the second half of verse 1 and verse 2, says, And the Word was what? With God. And then it says in verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. These two sentences in Greek mean more than just the Word existed with God. Number one, it distinguishes the two. Father and Son. It carries the idea of Jesus being face to face continually towards God. We need to understand that even though Jesus was distinct from the Father, He was of the same essence. He was of the same nature. In other words, Jesus was equal with God in every way, but distinct in roles. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, experienced Intimate fellowship with the Father from all eternity. By the way, every Christian who has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ also experiences intimate fellowship with the Father and Son as they do. We are not divine, but we enjoy this fellowship with the Father and Son. In John 17, 3, when Jesus was praying his high priestly prayer before his crucifixion in the garden, he said, and this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To know God and Jesus Christ is more than this intellectual knowledge. It means a deep, intimate relationship. When a man and woman get married, they experience a deep, intimate relationship that only they can enjoy. Only by being born again by the Spirit of God can a person enjoy this intimacy as the Father and Son have enjoyed from all eternity. Jesus being God existed from all eternity and enjoyed deep fellowship with his father. So how does John tell us Jesus pre-existed? By telling us he was always with God. But by also telling us Christ, the word, is God. Verse 1, the third part of that verse says, And the word was God. If there are any... If there was any doubt that Jesus pre-existed and was God, John makes it clear, the Word was God. The Word was God. Now, now we come into a little controversy with the Jehovah Witness. Jehovah Witness in their New World Translation says in John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, and here's where they change it, a God. Okay? So, and I have a copy of the the New World Translation. So, it's a gross distortion of who Jesus is. He wasn't a God, a little God, a little bit divinity. Jesus, I'll sprinkle you with a little divine. No. He was fully God as much as the Father and the Holy Spirit. There's not one Greek scholar that would translate those words a God. Not one. I have many, many Greek um, references, many. You know, with, a com- with computers now you have tons. 
But there's not one Greek scholar that would translate the word a God. But it shouldn't surprise us. You know why it shouldn't surprise us? Because the Jehovah Witnesses don't understand the original Greek language. New Testament was written in Koine Greek. And the scholars understand that ancient Greek. Jehovah Witnesses don't understand. You know, the, the, um, the founder was Charles Russell. Charles Taz Russell. When they pressed him, when he, they took him to court and they pressed him, I guess this was back in the early 1900s or late 1800s, they pressed him, they said, do you know Greek? And he said, oh yes, I do know Greek. And they, they must have held up a chart or something, and he couldn't read it. Then they said, and he said, well, I, you know, I may have a little trouble understanding it. So then they asked him a third time, do you understand Greek? And he said, no. So the man was a liar. And uh, now, now I, I've, I've talked to many Jehovah Witnesses. I just recently had one in the summer in New Jersey. And you kind of feel sorry for them because they're like robots, they're like puppets. They, they tell you exactly what the Kingdom Hall tells you, tells them to tell you. Now they, they didn't know I was in the, studying the book of John for six years. So they tried to challenge me on the book of John. But, you know, when I was, I kept bringing them back to Christ's divinity and they were denying the whole thing. And then finally they got so sick and tired of me, they walked away. He wasn't a God. He was God. And John made that abundantly clear. And over the years, as I preach through this gospel, many times I preach verses that unequivocally affirm the divinity of Christ. This is not just here in these first five verses. This is throughout the book of John. When he said to the Jews, if you don't believe that I am he, he is not in the original Greek. It's if you don't believe that I am, what was Jesus saying? If you don't believe that I am who I am, I am the God, Jehovah of the Old Testament. That's what he was saying to the Jews. And the Jews understood that. Guess what? They picked up stones to stone him. Why? Because he committed adultery? No, because he was blaspheming in their minds and hearts. He was truly God, and you could see it through the whole Gospel of John. Point one, the pre-existent word. Christ pre-existed. He always existed. Point two, the creator word. Verse three. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So, from subatomic particles to the billions and billions of galaxies, Jesus created them all. Jesus was God's agent in creation. Everything you see, everything you taste and touch, was created by the Savior. It says, without Him, nothing was made. Nothing. Colossians 1 Verses 16 and 17, Paul told the church, he said, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 
The writer of Hebrews says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He has pointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. May I say to you, that you are being held together by Christ. As a matter of fact, the whole universe is being held together by the one who made it. If Jesus were to let go of his holding of the universe, we would instantaneously disintegrate. Instantaneously. In him, all things hold together. Paul said in Acts 17, verses 24 and 25, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. And Paul was quoting a Cretan poet in Acts 17, 27, and said, In him we live and move and have our being. By the way, even pagans, even pagans notice the creation of Almighty God. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim His handiwork, as Psalm 19 tells us. Every human being will be without excuse on the day of judgment. The one who rejected the gospel obviously is without excuse because he had the gospel and rejected it. The one, but even the ones who never heard the gospel will be without excuse because creation speaks of God, which Jesus created, which theologians call general revelation. That we have general revelation. Everybody has general revelation. You cannot look at the sky and see the grandeur and the beauty, the mountains, and say there's no God. You can't. Romans 1.20 says. For his invisible attributes. Namely his eternal power. And divine nature. Have been clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Christ the word. Is the creator. And through his creation. We see God's existence. His power, His divine nature, etc. We understand the creator of the word, of the, of the creator word, is no less than God. Jesus Christ, the creator word, is God. When, when I go upstate, and I see the magnificent mountains, and rivers, and lakes, and at night I look up into the sky and see the stars, the moon, uh, and some planets sometimes we even see. Or look at the sunsets. Or when I'm down at the shore and I see the awesome, powerful waves rolling in. I'm stunned at the awesome power of God. And it compels me to worship and glorify God. Let the Savior, who not only created you and the universe and then saved you from your sin, bring you to a place of deep worship. Christ the Creator in Genesis 1 and Christ the creator of your new created life deserves all your heart and worship. He's God. Only God can create. Jesus is God, the creator. Point one, the pre-existent word. He always existed. Point two, the, cre- the creator word. Wasn't created, but was the creator. And point three, 
the self-existent word. He has life in himself. Nothing outside of him is keeping him alive. Verses 4 and 5. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Another point of the word being God is Jesus is self-existent. Verse 3 speaks of Christ, the word as the word Christ the word as creator, but all that came into existence from him, all that he created was because of the life in him. He has life in himself. The word life in Greek is Zoe. Say Zoe with me. Okay, you're Greek scholars now, remember that. And it means to be alive. It means to live. It means to life. In John's gospel, the word Zoe, life, is used about 36 times, which mainly refers to eternal life. You think he's trying to make a point 36 times? I think so. All life flows from the author of life. Dr. Kenneth Gengale in his commentary said, Jesus Christ the creator provides physical life. Jesus Christ the redeemer provides spiritual life. And Jesus Christ the savior provides eternal life. In him was life. Jesus said in John 5.26, For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son to have life in himself. You see, in his divinity, Jesus always, always had life in himself. But in his humanity, when he voluntarily gave up his independent use of his divine attributes, the Father gave him authority to give physical and spiritual life to whom he willed. And as you read through the Gospels, Jesus did just that. He told men their sins are forgiven. He raised Lazarus out of the, from the dead. He gave spiritual life and physical life To whom he pleased. Jesus created all things. And all things exist because life is in him. Christ has life in himself. He is self-existing. Nothing keeps him alive. He's the author of life. All life flows out of him. He provides physical, spiritual, and eternal life. Because once again, life is in him. We exist... We live, we have life because Christ sustains us with life. Any person outside of Christ does have physical life, but has no eternal life in them. Anyone in Christ has both physical and eternal life. And when a person has eternal life from the source of life, they also have light. Verse 4 again. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is not speaking about physical life, uh, light. Jesus created physical light in Genesis 1 2. He spoke, God spoke, said, Let there be light. And what happened? There was light. It dispelled the darkness. In other words, Christ doesn't only have life, but gives light to mankind so they can see their wretchedness and need of eternal life found only in Him. And for the believer who has had the light of Christ already shine in their hearts, his light continuously shines in areas of darkness in their lives. Dr. Andrea Kostenberger said, Jesus is the source of supernatural light, since only those who possess spiritual, eternal life have the capacity to walk in the light, that is, to make moral decisions that are in accordance with God's revealed will. You and I not only could never be saved apart from the light of Christ, 
But we could, as Christians, we could never make those right decisions unless the light of Christ is consistently shining in our hearts. He said in John, Jesus said in John 8, 12, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the same one in Genesis 1, 3, who said, let there be light. And there was light. Anyone who follows Jesus Christ will walk, will not walk in darkness. You know that, right? But will have the light of life. Jesus is the source of physical and spiritual light. And Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Now I always quote this verse because I know outside of Christ, I am walking in darkness. I know it. We don't have the physical Jesus with us here. But we have his word to guide us and his Holy Spirit to empower us and to give us spiritual light when we read his word. John, if you haven't noticed, some of you may have noticed, if you read his gospel, if you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he frequently uses contrasts. That's John's MO. Life, death, light, darkness. And there's no exception here in verse 5. Verse 5 tells us, the light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness. What does he mean about darkness? He's speaking about the lost world in spiritual darkness. Outside of Christ, the world is in spiritual darkness. Genesis tells us that darkness was over the face of the earth. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Christ dispelled the physical darkness with physical light when he created it. Christ, the light of the world, dispels spiritual darkness with the glorious light of his gospel. No power, no person in hell can extinguish the light of Christ. Do you ever light a candle in a dark dark room or a flashlight? Darkness is dispelled immediately. Darkness can never overcome light. Never. But light always dispels darkness. And the reason why anyone remains in darkness is not because the light fails to shine... But they reject the light because they don't want their evil deeds exposed, as John tells us in his third chapter. When the light of Christ comes into our lives, you know what happens? Our evil deeds are exposed. They're revealed. And we cannot hide anymore. When I came to faith in Christ, that's what happened to me. All my evil deeds came to light. And Christ dealt with them. But he forgave me for every one of them. When Christ came to his own people, Israel, they didn't receive him. John 1.11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. It's no different today. No different today. Many still reject the light and remain in darkness. But you and I, as Christians, reflect the light of Christ. John presented to us three proofs from these five verses. The word, Jesus Christ, is very much God in every way. He always existed. He is the creator. And he is self-existent. And sometimes, when I do a study like this, sometimes I have to stop and just think how how awesome he is. And it leads me to want to worship him. And sometimes, when I'm doing a study like this, or even doing a casual reading of this, I want to say to the world... 
when it comes to Jesus, do you know who you're dealing with? I had a, a friend, Gene Foster, if you look him up online, he, was, he played for the San Diego Chargers. And he was our dispatcher. He played in the, uh, San Diego, I think it was pre-NFL. Um, and, and this guy was probably the strongest man I ever met in my life. He was a running back of San Diego Chargers. He was rock solid. One day um, he was in the warehouse and my friend was running in the warehouse. And this is about 40 years ago. And he didn't see him and he, and he hit into him. My friend was knocked out. Fell right on the floor, fainted, passed out. I used to grab his arms and, you know, it felt like literally like concrete or steel. One day I was with him and we had to go gas up a truck and we went. We went to gas up a truck and we get out to gas up the truck and he's standing there talking to the gas attendant and he was a black man and the gas attendant was a white man and you could see clearly that the the gas attendant was very prejudiced and was talking to him very nasty. And I was standing on the side just watching it. And all I kept thinking of was, does he know who he's dealing with? Because he could take him and twist him into a pretzel and throw him and crush him. It's funny, but literally that's how strong this guy was. Matter of fact, they used to take him to the gym uh, and to work out his legs. They used to put the pin in the bottom and stand on it to work out his legs. That's how powerful his legs were. He was a running back. But I said to myself, does he know who he's talking about? Does Does this man know who he's dealing with? Do we know who we're dealing with when it comes to Jesus Christ? Does the world know who they're dealing with when they come to Jesus Christ? When they blaspheme His name? When they take His name for granted? Do Christians, do we know who we're dealing with? When we ignore the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, God in human flesh. I had a friend one time, when I first got saved... And I was telling him about Christ, and he told me, Ooh, Christ. And I remember that was like a knife in my heart. This gentleman, this is once again about 40 years ago, he's now a Christian. But what he said, I still remember to this day, it still pierces my heart. Because he's talking about the king of the universe, God in human flesh. Let me conclude here. How do we apply <coughs> excuse me, how do we apply this text to our lives? Well, there are a number of ways we can apply this passage. By the way, you know, when you every preach a text, Ossie Sproul said, and he's right, he said you could have only one interpretation of a text. And hopefully I gave you that proper interpretation. But you could have a thousand applications. And and a couple of things I was thinking about is first, we need to have a greater understanding of who Christ is. Let this understanding not just be head knowledge, but deep, intimate heart knowledge that leads to a deep worship of the triune God. It is God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let's worship God, knowing who He is. This infinite God... Deserves all glory, honor, worship, praise. Let the glories of heaven. He left the glories of heaven to die for sinners like you and me. 
Remember that song by Charles Wesley. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Second, let his divine light shine in the dark areas of your life. Don't hide from God. His light will find you out anyway. Let his divine light shine in the dark areas of your life. It'll shine on, you, on the sin in your life. You repent of it. And glory comes. And third, know that because he is the pre-existent creator, self-existent God, you can trust him for anything he asks you to do. Anything. I preached a couple of weeks ago. God wants us to follow him. He wants us to tend his sheep. He wants us to bear witness about him. If he asks us to do that, that means he gives us the power to do it. And we should obey him because he is God. And God has the right to tell us the one he shed his blood for to do what he asks us to do. He's God. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Let's pray. And Father, we thank you. We thank you that the divine Son, second person of the Blessed Trinity, left the glories of heaven, came, suffered and died on our behalf to give us eternal life. God, I ask if anybody doesn't know you today, that they would come to know you through the preaching of your word. And I pray for those who do know you, would understand who they're dealing with. God in human flesh. Bless us, God. Bless us, Lord. With this truth, let it permeate our hearts. Let us never think of Christ in the same manner. But understand who he is. Understand what John is telling us here about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Bless your people. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.